0: Welcome to Cascade Church Podcast. A church we hope is both safe to be and safe to grow. Enjoy! Enjoy. So would you welcome Kennedy
1: and Sandra? Thanks. Hello. Um, Hi, Cascade. My name is... Hi. Hi. I'm Sandra Noble, and this morning I get to be asking Kennedy some questions of kind of exploring some of her her identity, her intersectionality, and specifically how that's sort of influenced and impacted her her experiences within faith systems. And we have a few questions to get through, but I was also given permission to go off script, so we might have some fun.
0: They're always the best conversations, especially with me, because my brain's just all over the place, so it's so, going to be fun. Buckle up.
1: Um, Kennedy, can you just sort of give us a little bit of an introduction to who you are and what some of these intersectional identities are for you.
0: Yeah, Um, well first, my mom and my sisters are watching and I have to say hello, because every time I don't, they yell at me afterwards. More specifically, my middle sister, but it's okay. Um, And her husband, hello JR. Um, Okay, so, I forgot the question. Can you say it one more time? (laughs) (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) who that's a great question we're gonna find out more about that today I suppose um okay well so I think part of what like so it's Black History Month right and I think part of what kicked off this conversation is I am half black and half white um I'm 1.4% indigenous Mexican it's very important to me um these people are laughing because they're my friends and they know how important it is to me. So um, I was I'm from the D.C. area. So very, very, very diverse area. Um, I was raised predominantly in a I would say now the, the population is over 50 percent Latino. Um, I am not black presenting. Um, most people think I am Hispanic. <clears throat> Excuse me. I started speaking Spanish when I was 12, um, mostly because I got so many people yelling at me. They're like, why aren't you speaking with me in Spanish? It's en tu sangre. And I'm like, that means it's in your blood. Um, and I would say, it's, it's not, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I started learning how to speak Spanish. Um, I've taken lots of trips outside of the country to Spanish-speaking places, building houses, and all that stuff, and I lived in Spain for a little bit. Um, and then Black History Month arrives, and I'm like, what do I do? But, like, this is my actual culture. Like, I don't really know what to do with it. Um, so I think that's kind of how this conversation even came about, because it's like, how do people in my position who are in the BIPOC community, um, we were talking earlier, and I'm like, it feels so weird to, to claim that, but that's part of why we're having this conversation is the... You know, finding that intersectionality of being multiple races and having multiple cultures and how do you how do you show up in the world and how do you have faith when there's lots of different ways to do that? Um so I think I think I'll talk a little bit about my my church history if that's okay. I think I've talked up here a lot before and you all have heard that I come from a charismatic background, but I'll talk a little bit more as to how that relates to my identity as a biracial person. Um, So I went to a church that uh, was actually run by South Africans, um, but they are white South Africans, um, which is if you know anything about apartheid history, things like that. It was a very, very interesting dynamic. Um, Like I said, from the DC area. So very diverse church. We had like Korean translation and Spanish translation, and we had a really, really large uh, Ghanaian population um, but there was always this kind of like overarching, unspoken, but you could still feel it sense of like elitism. Like we're we're diverse, but we still know the hierarchy like that exists in this place. Um, and so I think in faith, uh, and and it was also interesting because it was such a diverse church. There was such diverse expression. Um, so there was some people who were like more reserved and just kind of like kept to themselves but then you also had people who would like be in the rows dancing or jumping around and um so it was it was just really really interesting way to grow up um and I think as a biracial kid who like everybody just wants to belong right and I found a huge sense of belonging there um and I'm it might sound like I'm coming off as negative, but I do have a lot of great or gratitude for that church because they really kept me safe from some things at certain times. Um, and I think that's the paradox of relationship, right? With anything like there, there are things to be redeemed. And then there's other things where it's like, Ooh, I don't, don't ever want to do that again. Um, so I think talking about who I am, those are really foundational things to how I grew up and how I've learned how to exist in the world. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of that involves code switching um, from from group to group to, you know, try and fit as much as I can, um, and I think maybe that'll start off some of our questions.
1: I appreciate right? that setup. Oh, sure. Um, to give a bit of context, those of you who I don't know, um, I am a therapist, and I specifically look at topics around embodiment in spirituality and what that looks like, and throughout some of that work and research, something that has become really clear is the embodied experience of being in church looks quite different in traditionally white churches than it does in traditionally black churches within this country, or really within this part of the world. Um, And so with that in mind, and you kind of led us into a little bit of the complexity of having white South African leadership in a church, and it seems like there was sort of a combination of physicality and expression of of each congregant's body and the way that they presented in church and wondering if you can share more about as a biracial person what that experience was like for you
0: yeah um hmm i think it's it i mean it was just so interesting especially like my mom is white and my mom comes from a um Baptist church like very muted uh I don't even know if they stood up to sing hymns um I wish I could I'm one of those people where like when I have a question uh I just call my parents like at any given moment um I didn't know that that was weird until I moved here (laughs) um but anybody that's ever driven with me in the car has been like you call your parents a lot I'm like they have answers can Um, confirm (laughs) um and I didn't know she's watching, so I'm like, she knows the answer. But, uh, but then my my dad's side, um, my dad is grew up Baptist and Church of Christ, which is kind of an interesting intersection all on its own. But I think for me, yeah, I th- I think you're probably going to hear me say I don't know a lot because it's like what a lot of my experience has been. So um, with the intersectionality of white expression and black expression, um... I think maybe in when I was in more white spaces, there was a little bit more, I was very much more aware of my body and how I was expressing, making sure that I didn't do too much to be too fill in the blank. Um, And that's kind of like the summation of my life is trying to figure out how to exist in a space in order to not be too fill in the blank, whether it's too much, too loud, too expressive, too quiet. Um, So I think in more white spaces, there is more pressure to be like more together. And, um, you know, you express, but you only do so much because you don't want to upset the people around you. Um, You don't want to like disturb anybody else's worship space um, like you have your own dynamic with God, um, but don't let that touch other people around you. Whereas I think more on my, my black side, gosh, I remember when I was leaving for college, we had a going away party and everybody, I didn't have a choice. They pulled me in and they sat me in a chair and everybody just started like laying hands on me and praying in tongues and it like shouting and it, they were spitting on me. I didn't like it, but, um, <laughs> You know, when you're, like, impassioned in prayer, and it's just, like, coming out. They were just all surrounding me, though. Um, But much more, like, boisterous and loud. And um, I think, I mean, we're talking about church, but I've also seen such a distinct difference in funerals, um, like, in church spaces with between my two cultures where, you know, when I have had grandparents die on my mom's side, it's very, like, quiet and respectful and... Um, everybody is grieving and weeping. And, and there's, it's not like there's not space for emotion. It's just expressed so differently where you go to a funeral on my dad's side. And gosh, I remember one time they had a line up for testimonies about like interaction with one of my family members that died. And my, oh, this scared me, but my dad just all of a sudden like jumped up and screamed and the whole aisle moved and um, or it's very it's very normal for people to be just like wailing um, and just having this huge outward expression. Um, and I think that was also an interesting dynamic for me because I didn't know what to do. Because I am not necessarily a like, I, I don't cry. I'm, just, I'm not a crier. I'm not a huge outwardly expressive person. But there was still pressure to like, will they know I care if I'm not, you know, having this, this big thing. So I think in between those two, they're very different. And again, lots of code switching. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Cool.
1: Um, And from that, it sounds like there's kind of some framework or maybe we could bring in the framework of um, concepts around belonging. And then kind of with that, maybe concepts around imposter syndrome or (laughs) what that how that might impact you in different ways to either feel like you do or do not belong in a space um, or yeah, just could you share a little bit more about your own lived experiences of moving through the world as a biracial person, either in church faith contexts or otherwise?
0: Yeah. um, It's weird. I think because I know I don't present as a biracial person. Um, So it's, it's a weird dynamic of like walking through the world and knowing that the majority of people are looking at me thinking I'm a part of a culture that I'm not actually a part of. Um, and so I don't always know how to be in situations. Um, this space here at Cascade has been really great because there's a space for me to like ask a lot of questions and show up in different ways. And I know that there's going to be acceptance, Um, and most of the time nobody's even like really paying attention to me so I can just kind of figure out stuff on my own, but ask for help or, you know, like talk about things if I need it. Um, I think in the, gosh, in the, just in the world in a greater sense is what you're asking. If
1: you would like to go there. Um. We do not need to go there. Okay, where are we going? (laughs) (laughs) I'll get more specific. Oh, that's Um, okay. (laughs) I guess also knowing that you mentioned growing up in the D.C. area on the East Coast and then now being on the West Coast, have you noticed any differences or has that played into any of the, the pressure to code switch or the kind of the felt expectation?
0: Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> We're a great team. Thanks. Um. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> um, that was funny. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, man, is anybody here from the East coast? One person. Yay. Wait, your wife's from the East coast, right? Okay. Okay. Um, man, they're so different. Um, yeah. So here I actually, so when I first moved here, I'll be honest, I felt a little bit like a unicorn. Um, there's not a ton of Brown people here. Um, it's very, very different than where I'm from. Um, and I just had some of the most weird interactions with people. Um, I've had people come up and be like, "Oh my God, you're black. I want to be your friend." I'd be like, "Where am I? <laughs> like, what is this place?" Uh, I called my dad and told him about it. He was like, "Yeah, you you moved to Oregon," and I was like, "What does that mean?" And I didn't know the history of um, Oregon before I moved here, so uh, that was weird. But I've actually, over time, I feel more comfortable being brown here than I think I do on the East Coast, um, because there's really not as I don't feel like there's as much expectation for me for how I'm supposed to show up. It's just like, oh, the, and and I also feel like I have a little bit more of a voice um, because there are not a lot of brown people here when things like were happening, like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, and you know, different things that happened. Um, Granted, I had to have the boundaries within myself to say, like, hey, I don't have the headspace to, like, talk about this right now. Um, But I felt like I did, I felt more seen because it was, like, I'm kind of, like, a commodity here. Um, Not that I want to, like, put myself in capitalism terms, but anyway. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, I I think I felt more comfortable to be here because there's not as much expectation. So I don't... I don't necessarily have to code switch as much. I can just be myself a little bit more. And it's taking me a lot of time to get there because I've I very much had to, like, test out the waters and say things that maybe people won't understand. Like, um, has anybody here heard of the itis? Maybe? Are you laughing because you know? Okay. The itis is, like, uh, when you've eaten a whole bunch of food and you feel really sleepy, like food coma. Um, so, in I, I don't know if it's black culture or just an East Coast thing, but, like, if, you, if you've if you eaten a lot of food and you just want to go to sleep, you're like, man, I've got the itis. Like, the first time I said that here, my boss was like, do you need to go home? Are you sick? And I was like, no, 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 no. That just means, like, I, I ate too much and I need to, like, I feel really lethargic. Um, so there's, like, little things of just throwing that kind of stuff out. Um, but people just responded well to it and accepted it. Whereas on the East Coast where it is very diverse and people, as much as there's, like, there is a sense of inclusion, but there's also, like, you're included, but, like, stay in your lane kind of thing. Um, like, if you are in, like, specifically where I'm from, I'm from Northern Virginia, so, like, we know, like, Manassas is very Latino. That's where I'm from. Um, then there's a town called Centerville that's very Korean, and then you go to Annandale, and that's there's a ton of Ethiopian people people in Annandale, and so it's like there's diversity, but also people like in their own boroughs, and so like you go to other neighborhoods and you experience people's food, and like it's kind of like a head nod to like, hey, I see you, uh, but then you go back to where you're from, and you exist in those places, and so as much as it's diverse it feels like there's even a little bit more restriction because it's like, no, 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 this is who you are and this is how you show up, um, which is that much more difficult for me to be in black spaces. Um, Cause I'm culturally, I was raised with my black side um, and a lot of Latino people, um, but I don't, I don't look that way. And so like, I ended up going more to like the Salvadorian restaurants and getting like Peruvian chicken and all of these different things because Those are just the people that were like, oh yeah, she belongs in our neighborhood, like she looks like us, Um, where really it's like, I should have been at like Popeye's or, you know, places like that. Um, Sorry. (laughs) You know, I think that's the second time I've mentioned Popeye's when I've been on stage. (laughs) Might have a problem. (laughs) Um, But so, so that, it's a little bit harder to exist there in the sense of race, um, because i I don't actually feel like I can go into the culture that I'm a part of. Um, Which is like, even like for Black History Month creates this really odd dynamic of like, this is my culture and I can celebrate the works that people have done, but can I actually acknowledge it in and of myself? Um, Because I'm not, I haven't been given a lot of space to do that. I mean that's like even within my own family too, so. Yeah, and so
1: kind of within the context of being Black History Month, I'm I'm going off script here, so be warned. Um, could you speak a little bit to maybe what what helps create safety in a space for you, or what are maybe some takeaways that you would hope that folks might be able to understand to hopefully be able to create safety for others?
0: Yeah, I think um, I think permission uh, to just to just be, regardless of how that looks like. Um, permission and I think curiosity. Um, I think that's been a real big piece in in me getting to kind of just express myself a little bit more. Um is people not so much being like offended at things that I say, um, but more so of like, oh, like tell me more about that. Or like I don't, I don't necessarily relate, can you? tell me where you're coming from kind of thing um and and just having the space to like oh like this is what I like this is my upbringing this is where I come from um and not not permission in the sense of like hey you have permission to be brown like though you do (laughs) thanks maybe I do need that um Um, but not not like weird permission, like where it's like, well, now I want to leave. Um, <laughs> but but has that like, effect on people. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. Um, but like just people like being open. Uh, yeah, so I guess being open and curious is is really, really helpful. Um, and also people being able to talk about things. I think um I feel really passionate about lots of social issues um, specifically around you know giving access and, and equity and and like Misha was talking about liberation to marginalized communities and I think being able to engage in those conversations and again with curiosity with people where they understand that we do have different perspectives and that there's room for all the perspectives at the table because as a brown person like I'm not trying to shut down the perspective of anybody. I think that all of the perspectives are valid and we all bring something to the table. But it's like I need to also feel that same energy myself. Um, Because I guess I have experienced places where those perspectives were not welcome. And so I'm not going to fight that. I'll just go find somewhere else. So. Uh,
1: Yeah, so it sounds like really kind of some awareness of the nuance that Mm -hmm. each person's lived experience is going to look a little bit different. And I was hearing in your response that you seek spaces where you are safe to be and safe to grow. And
0: safe to grow? Yeah. Huh. (laughs) Well. (laughs) I'm not sure where to go from there. You're doing great.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Kennedy. Um, Yeah, I guess... Recognizing that I was given a time limit, Kennedy and oh. I can talk for a while. But
0: the first time we met, we talked for like four hours. It was great,
1: and neither of us thought it was weird. Anyway,
0: yeah.
1: Um, any last <clears throat> thoughts or anything that you would? Any kind of takeaways that you are? That's the time went
0: by really quickly. Um, no pressure. Thanks. You have thirty seconds. <laughs> um, oh my god. You all are getting to see, like, the sum- summation of our friendship. It's really great. We have a lot of fun, I think.
1: <laughs> takeaways?
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, takeaways. I don't know. Um, and you don't have to. I did say that. I would say that a lot. Takeaways. Um, I don't know. I just encourage everyone to just be open and mm-hmm. um, and maybe be aware of nuance um, like I was, I really loved when Mish was here talking cause I feel like she summed up a lot of my lived experiences, but that like, you know, you wouldn't look at her and think like, oh, there's a Jewish person or there's a, you know, fill in the blank. Um, and man, it feels really good to think about people not coming up to me and just like, oh, so you're Puerto Rican. Like, do you love rice and beans? And like, first of all, you shouldn't say that. Uh, (laughs) second no I'm not Puerto Rican maybe in my heart but um, but yeah so I just encourage you all to just be open and even aware of your own and I'm talking to myself too because I like did I think that Mish was a Jewish person nope but I I felt like very called out in and of my in a loving way myself of all the ways that we go through the world and we interact with different people and we have these assumptions that don't actually give them space to be themselves um, and so I, I guess that would be the biggest takeaway from this conversation is to just like have curiosity and and give space for people to surprise you um because I think I think when you do that we learn so much about people and we gain so much perspective and it actually creates spaces that are I mean I'm going to say it again safe to be and safe to grow um but I think that's what that's what we're looking for in and, and that's really important so oh,
1: just to kind of summarize and to oh not the reinforce something that you just said was I think the awareness that we each bring all of our past lived experience to any interaction that we're in and so whether that's growing up with influences of two different races or the part of the country that you grew up in or anything like that just in the same way that you know, coming into Black History Month, we're acknowledging that each person's experience is different. I think it's important to also keep in mind the fact that all of our past experiences are the lens through which we are interacting with that person. And so it's something that can just be important to recognize that we all carry those assumptions, biases, expectations, and um, having curiosity and openness. It seems like it's kind of the... The key to creating some some safety. Well, thank you for sharing all of that with us. Thanks for us.
0: asking me questions. Anytime. Okay. It's one of my favorite things. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>